So this morning we've got a slightly different morning. Rather than sort of having a message, we're going to be interviewing Roger Ellis. Some of us have known Roger for a very long time, um, and some, of, some people will never have met you before at all. Who are you, Roger? Um, so, well, before I ask you to answer, the link is with 24-7. I'll give you that much. Um, well, beyond that as well. Who am I? How deeply philosophical do you want me to be not, with that? Not deeply philosophical at all. We're going to take all. for granted that you're real. That you're here. Uh, that's good. Okay, good. Well, that's good. Um, yes. but, but more kind of like, where you come from, family, what you do. Yes, I am Roger. Hobbies. I'm married to uh, Margaret, who some of you may have come across. Uh, uh, who is uh, she? So she spent the last uh, 20 years or so running a, setting up and running a charity called Life Centre, uh, which works with people that have experienced sexual trauma, men and women, uh, children, boys, girls, old people, young people, whatever. So that's grown, established, really good. Uh, before that, she kind of led one of our congregations, our largest church. Before that, she was a teacher. She's now sort of doing organisational psychology. I have a 26-year-old, uh, maybe 27-year-old daughter, Chloe, who uh, is great, but she's just she had major surgery last year. She had a very serious brain tumour which uh, they successfully removed. And as far as we can see, uh, she's got the all clear. So she is, which yeah. is wonderful. Thank you for those of you, I'm sure, that prayed. So she is now back to work part-time uh, and is kind of like, you know, getting... I think it's going to be a couple of years for some of the stuff, you know, alignment, eyes, light sensitivity, noise sensitivity to kind of flatten out a bit. So she's doing well. And I've got a 23-year-old... Boy, uh, I won't go into too much detail about, but he's just finishing his degree in sports psychology. Yeah, he's 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 he's, he's kind of in love, I think. Um, it's complicated. Psychology? Yeah, sports psychology. So so that's us, and um, we've got a dog called Sasha, flat-coated black Labrador. She's great. Any dog people in the room. <laughs> Is that true? Are we mostly She's a cracking cat dog. Are there any cat yeah. lovers in the room? Oh, Come on! I think we might be a cat community. Wow, we wouldn't have known that. And we were thinking, of, we were thinking moment. of getting a dog, and we had a vet in our in our small group, and she just said, "Look, j just get a flat-coated black Labrador. You know, they love everybody. They, they they're eager to please. They're brilliant with kids. They're compliant. <laughs> they're friendly. They're everything." And we followed the teaching. It was worth it. And she's a lovely dog. And yeah. you have, a, you have a quite a particular hobby, which hasn't really, isn't really a hobby anymore. It's turned into a business. I like a little bit of fishing, yes. <laughs> and how is that little bit of fishing expressed right now in your life? It's like a, um, tell, tell us what you're going to be doing tonight, and that will give people an idea. Well, I had a... Um, I've, I mean, I've fished for years, and I've ended up sort of helping to run lakes. So somehow, seven or eight years ago, we ended up setting up a fish farm. So we have a fish farm on one side, which we sell fish. And then my business partner and I ended up buying a 40-acre site with a 30-acre gravel pit on it, which we then created into a kind of a private fishing syndicate business, and then buy a whole series of all sort of weird words from God and bizarre things ended up living in a house which is right next to it. So it's kind of like a carp angler's dream. <laughs> Having a lake in your back garden with monster carp up to 52 pounds swimming around in it. I reckon so. Not far off, actually, I would say. Um, so tonight you're going to be mowing around so, the So tonight I've got to mow the lake tonight, not the, the water, but quite a few acres uh, of mowing shall be going on later. So, 
No, it used to be now I've got a 4x4. Four four. Uh, I had to get a 4x4 four because four I, I ended up in the lake with the two-wheel drive mower, which wasn't really good. <laughs> so it, didn't, it didn't like the hill, it just went... <laughs> So now there's a fishing business, but actually your your other business has been church, hasn't it, for a long it time? It has. How man man and boy. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So I uh, became a Christian at the age of 19, completely um, sort of unchurched background, and found myself uh, leading a church with a bunch of, mate of my, mates of mine at about the age 22. Um, so I have been in church leadership since, and that was 1983. So it makes me 58 and nearly 59. I'm so not going to ask who wasn't born at that point. One, so, yeah, so I've been in and around this thing called church and church leadership for a fair while. And I'm still here. Come on. <laughs> it's great. I love it. And you, I mean, we, a, lot, a bunch of us who do know, know you because at various points in our experience of setting up church, Roger will just pop up and just be hugely encouraging. And you can get a sense of how that's possible because if you're leading a church at the age of 22, that's the, that's the kind of, um, it's, it's the encouragement of people like you that make it possible for you know, a bunch of students to go and start a church, which is exactly what we did sort of 10 years ago. We were quite young and we, we didn't necessarily know what we were doing. And I guess what, at the age of 22, you probably didn't know entirely what you were doing, having been We were making it up as we went years. along. Yeah. Um, and Our first, ve- we, we, right from the beginning, we realised that obviously both men and women could be in leadership. So we thought, well, okay, because we, we'll, we want to encourage some of the women. So we, 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 um, we, our, our, our main leaders that were women, we called them the Thunderbirds because there were five of them. <laughs> I don't think you could get away with that these days, could you? I think if the, That was the 80s. I think if you had matching jackets that said Thunderbirds on the back, like a bit like the pink jackets from Greece, I think I would love that if I'd have been there at the time. The whole vision. But we thought that was quite normal in those days, you yeah. know. Well, uh, people used to think that we were, you know, a little bit edgy, but we kind of thought, sounds like fun. Why did people think you were edgy? I don't know. Was it, was it something to do with the music? I see, I feel like I've heard Yeah, we were, well, we, like our worship at the beginning was very sort of metal influence. So we, we, we started meeting in a... In, it, so we used to go to a heavy metal club on the Saturday night. Mm-hmm. And then on the Sunday, we would meet in the, the metal club. Uh, and, and so that was a, a little bit unusual. But we had a lot... It was, um, it was a real move of God, actually. Um, lots of people coming to faith, mainly through prayer... And people coming in from who had been into the occult and various things, so having like quite powerful spiritual experiences, uh, and and so the growth was almost entirely through people that had no Christian background, and so and I was dating Margaret at the time. She was probably the only person we had from a Christian background. Her parents were missionaries, and so she was fairly stable. <laughs> Unlike the rest of of us that were raving heg thrashers. Um, So for anyone who thinks it's like a bit edgy that we used to meet in a jazz club, just forget it, honestly. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, (laughs) No charismatic two-step in our worship. It was full-thrown dandruff, you know. No, it it was a lot of fun. And we used to go and harass harass innocent metal freaks on the Saturday night. It's great. We used to go out in a gang and we'd just like, you know, okay, 
there would be people sharing faith in the bar. People, and I used to go and sort of headbang in the middle of them. And I, I'd take the, I had the standard heavy metal regalia, you know, sort of Iron Maiden, Led Zeppelin, Rush. All this. Then I'd take that off and then I had a big thing, Jesus Supernatural. And I just used to stand in, in, and then people would like look at you and then you'd like end up with these conversations. And, and people, people would pray for me. It was, a cra- it was crazy, but it kind of worked yeah. in that scene. Yeah. But because it was the, the scene in our area, it was quite a community. And obviously we were, we were building community. That, that, that was what was... So it was kind of like a subculture thing that, that spread out from there. And we had people that used to come along and just used to tolerate the music. So you've, had, so you've been doing church for a long time in different kind of expressions. Sure. Um, but now you're working for 24-7, leading mm-hmm. within 24-7 prayer. And we have obviously decided that we're going to become a 24-7 boiler room. Come church on. church affiliated with. I don't know exactly what the language is. I know. We're, we're still working it out. We're still working. Well, tell us, when you work out what it is, tell us. And we'll I'll explain. I, I, can, I can explain. Okay. But later, okay. If, if you want to ask um, that question. Yeah, well, I'd be interested to just hear a bit about... Um, you know, how long 24-7 prayer has been around? You were probably around from the very beginning of it. What you remember about how it started and how, I guess, you've been involved? Mm. So we had... Um, Revelation, which was the church we started, uh, was... Um, I mean, grew quite a lot over the initial years. There were all sorts of church planting, different things happening. And, and there was a whole movement of... It was right at the beginning of the... It was pre-sort of missional thinking uh, and pre-sort of new monastic thinking and all of that. So we were reflecting a lot around the Celts. So over 20 years ago... Well, just 20 years ago, I wrote this book called New Celts, which was looking at the the implications of, you know, Celtic spirituality, new monastic... So we, we were seeing, you know, churches planted in clubs, missioning clubs, the Ibiza thing had started you know, DJs in worship, all of that. So there was a move, and we'd had some major sort of prophetic stuff in the church about unbroken prayer and about a student movement. Uh, and so around about the same time, Fusion started, which I was involved in starting, which is where two or three years into that was where we met you guys when you were at Cambridge. For anyone uh, who doesn't know, Fusion is a, a movement planting cells into universities. Kind of, yeah. Of. It's more... Is that yeah, so they're, wor- they're, they're, wor- they're working with over 700 churches now, I think, or maybe even 1,000 churches. So when we started, no one would even work with us because um, we were naughty, apparently. But uh, so, yeah, so, that, so, 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 so we had... What happened was there was a lot of intense activity, and at the same time as Fusion started, we'd had this, these prophecies about praying 24 hours a day, and we, there was this conference, which probably you were at, down at Billy's place. And on the way back of the car, Pete, Greg and I, Margaret and this guy, Mike Morris, were sitting in the car. And we were saying, look, you know, this prayer thing, you know, we could actually pray consistently. If we did a kind of web thing, we could just chuck it out and we could run it like a baton. We could, you know, one lot could pray one week, some could pray at the same time, we could connect them up. People could pass the baton, we could go on from there. And everybody thought it was a great idea. So we went back to the conference the next day and said, guys, how do you fancy having a crack at this? And I think about six or seven communities kind of started it. Uh, and that, that was the beginning. So we're now sort of, as I say, 15,000. Pre- and we kind of had this thing about the Moravians that prayed for 100 years, you know, sold themselves into mission. Into, we kind of thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could pray for 100 years nonstop? 
you know what what would happen if we just what, what would happen if we did that and and uh and how would we do that and and so we've been going now well 17 18 years however many years it is so i was involved at the beginning and then what happened was uh because life said to start at the same time there were two or three other charities the church was exploding so we had Life Center, we had 24-7 Prayer, we had Fusion, we had a, uh, an African thing starting, we had different things going. So people were shooting off in different directions, planting these things. So at that stage, uh, as, as leaders, we said to, to Pete, look, you, you take 24-7 and run with it. I'll, I'll take Fusion and run with it and leave the church. And so, so we were involved sort of right from the beginning and people like Carla Harding and others that were, uh, have been working with 24-7 all that time had been part of it. But then what happened was, I mean, over the years, there was still a relational connection. But, you know, I was doing the fusion thing. Revs was doing 24-7 prayer. But Pete relocated to Guildford to plant something there. So 24-7 was growing. We were connected, but not really involved. And then um, probably about 10 years ago, I don't know, I, I'm useless on dates um, I'm a bit more conservative on facts and figures than I used to be. So around about 10 years ago, uh, I got to a transition time. So I handed the leadership of uh, Revelation Church to someone that I trained up, a guy called Dan, which has been a very successful transition. We're still working together, still in the church, haven't fallen out with each other. But I didn't need to, to die in order for him to succeed. You know, as someone once said, you know, the, the best kind of founder is a dead founder. I don't agree with that. Uh, but transition can be a really difficult thing, but we, we transitioned that well. And at the same time, I handed Fusion over to a guy called Rich Wilson, many of you will know, uh, and that was also very successful. Um, and, uh, but then I was sitting there thinking, well, I don't want to just fish farm and go fishing. What do I do now? And um, so via a series of things, I ended up at a 24-7 event. Pete found out that I was at a loose end, offered me a job straight away. Um, I'd kind of said, well, look, whatever I do, I want to work with mates doing the things that I'm passionate about. I don't, you know, people came to me and said, oh, you could go and be the CEO of this charity and that charity. And that's really not me. You know, I just want to work with my mates and do the things that I'm passionate about. And, you know, I'm not too keen on a career, really. And what are those things? That, what, what is it about 24-7 that is triggering? Well, I'm passionate, passionate about? about the move of God, the move of the Holy Spirit, seeing the kingdom break out in every sphere. I'm passionate about church. I'm passionate about the community of God. I'm passionate about seeing the world change. That's what I'm passionate about. And I'm into friendship people that like to do that in the context of friendship and relationship with a real lifestyle feel, you know, I'm into adventure. I like to be part of something that's breaking new ground and, you know, so that, that's kind of me really. So it's, you know, it was just um, real fun. And 24-7 have grown over the years. So you had the prayer dimension, um, which is now very strong. So you've had these thousands of these prayer rooms everywhere from, you know, from uh, you know, in, in, no, nowhere in the middle of nowhere in Africa, or Timbuktu, or what, to, to the Pentagon, to the house. I mean, it's like everywhere you could think of, over 120 nations. So this, and even you've ended up where, where the, in different nations, you've now got teams of people leading prayer you've had whole nations taking a year of prayer so that thing is we're getting more prayer rooms than we've ever had now so it's so that side is kind of exponential 
And then out of, then so uh, alongside that, these things called boiler rooms started, which nobody really knew what they were. They were just like kind of communities of people that were praying. But what's happened is we've ended up with two dimensions of boiler rooms. You have boiler rooms that are like churches, you know, they're, they're like you guys, they're an ecclesial community, if you like. They're a group of people that are committed together. This is their place of belonging. This is their family. This is their community. They share the vision and values of 24-7, and so they're part of the family. And and those communities are different shapes. There's, there's, a, you know, there's a few groups that are very similar to you. Uh, there are some that are a bit more, you know, a bit more organisational and gathered and bigger, a little bit more conventional. There are others that are, you know, even a little bit more, you know, a little bit more ad hoc as well. So we've got everything from those that are more based in localities, based around the table, based around households, through to um, communities that are very, very strongly focusing around high-level gatherings, big community projects, and that's the fun thing because um, there isn't nobody's right, and we've all got things to learn from each other. So that's one half of the of the boiler room network are the churches, if you like, ecclesial communities, and the other half is what we've started to call houses of prayer. Um, and that's usually a group of people either in a denomination or in a city uh, that gather together around a monastic rhythm to pray on behalf of the Christians in their area. So you may end up with so the, 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 the classic um, cross-church one. You might end up with people from eight or nine different churches probably based in a community with a rhythm of life, doing stuff amongst the poor, you know, doing training, doing stuff on behalf of the churches in the city. So they become the epicenter of unbroken prayer for the churches in the city. And so their oversight, if you like, are the churches across their city. So there may be eight or ten churches that are like the oversight of the house of prayer. But the house of prayer is part of the family of 24-7 because we're where they get their inspiration and their input and where they make their contribution. And so we've got houses of prayer. We've got a whole Catholic movement uh, in Europe, um, the, the, the Reto movement, that, that are, are 24-7 houses of prayer. It's the three or 4,000 young people. They're more like 24-7 than 24-7. It's crazy, apart from a little bit of the real presence dangling. So you've, so you've got the, the Catholic ones, you've got the Anglican ones, and you've got ones in cities. And we've got eight houses of prayer starting at the moment. In the UK? In the UK. Okay. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that is quite interesting and quite different, maybe, to some of the expressions of church that we might have been part of before, where you're part of a denomination. Yeah. You know, you would be part of the Anglican church, or maybe you were Pentecostal. And actually, in this room, we will have all sorts of backgrounds um, I'm not entirely sure how we would describe ourselves. Um, do you know what our label would be? No. We don't really care. Um, but <laughs> it <laughs> no, depends who's looking really at you. <laughs> yeah, who's the <laughs> they like There's some people that would love to label us. Yeah, I'm sure they would. <laughs> but um, that is different about 24-7, that um, because you've got this part of 24-7 that is about the global church and anybody who wants to get in a prayer room and pray, there's a part of this family which is just completely interdenominational. It captures the whole church, probably. But then also the communities are yeah. not just and um, charismatic. Yeah. Well, when we started, I didn't feel that we could do that. I didn't feel it would work. I, I felt that if you, the moment you stopped doing, you, you, that you started, or you had communities, you started planting churches, that people would then 
not you, you, you wouldn't do the prayer thing. But actually, genuinely, globally, for want of a better word, ecumenical, whatever you want to use, I know some people find that a difficult word, but globally, that's, that's where we are. You know, and you know, when we had our global conference, we had it in the bishop's palace in you know Vienna, and he's the prayer partner of the Pope. You know, <laughs> and correct. Uh, so, so at one level, we're invited to those, and yet the next time our global conference is in Belfast, which might cause some difficulties um, with some people. So, so you, so you've got that genuinely. And a high level of trust, you know, the Archbishop of Canterbury thinks we're wonderful. You know, our monastic order thing is being accredited by the Anglicans as an ecumenical order. But, but most of our communities would be nonconformist. Um, so, but I think that's where it's at, isn't it? I, I think these days people don't, you know, it's not necessarily about tribes, is it? It's about the kingdom. It's about what God's doing. And so that's where we're at. And our approach is, well, let's bless and work with anybody that will that'll work with us. Let, let's focus on what's good about each other and then r- remain curious about where we differ and, and have some dialogue. I mean, obviously, there are some bottom lines, you know. When, when, you know, we're not going to be joining the Ku Klux Klan anytime soon. Is but Jesus the bottom line? Is that a I line? would say okay. Jesus <laughs> was a fairly healthy bottom line. <laughs> with Paul, of course, because they're exactly the same. <laughs> Jesus and Paul. Paul and Jesus, very consistent with each other. There's a tone of irony there, just in case it's undetected. <laughs> um, so, so that, I mean, that's really exciting. For those of us who went to the conference, actually, that was one of the things when we came back, we were like, this, is, this would be really exciting and interesting to feel connected to a really diverse group of Christians that are pursuing the kingdom of God, even though the shape, the flavour, the texture, some of the beliefs vary, but the heart is similar. Um, so two more questions, and then I'm going to ask you guys to maybe get into some groups and just reflect. Um, so... One of the things that we see, um, you know, if you go to the 24-7 website or you kind of read some of the stuff, um, some of the books, is these kind of six practices that some of the boiler room communities are trying to express or, or kind of orient their, their, um, their life around some of these rhythms. We were trying to remember them last night, and this is the man who's actually running the UK Boiler Room Network. <laughs> and we would... Abby, so could, Abby remembered them better than Roger did. I just want to put that on the... Uh, yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, I, it's, it's the detail it's thing. Jesus yeah. you know. is the bottom line. Certain details stick with me, but a lot don't. But they, they were, as we remembered them, prayer, mission, justice, creativity. Basically, hospitality. And, and learning. Learning. Which are a lovely, six lovely things. Um, but So one of my questions was, um, you know, if those are some of the six things that if you went to different boiler room communities, you might expect to, you know, if you didn't, if you just followed this community around and watched what they did, what kinds of expressions of mission or hospitality or learning might you see? Are there expectations of how that should look? Like what kinds of... I mean, there's a device, d- diversity of models. If you take um, learning, for instance, you know, we've got, we have a kind of, we have a leadership pathway um, and, and a lot of the learning is very creative. So we have a, a, a core training, which are which probably about 30 communities across the globe who's, you know, they've got a leadership section and, it, and it's a, a Saturday every six weeks. And the US guys run from about nine in the morning till lunchtime and we run from two in the afternoon till the evening. So we're all online together, getting the same teaching at the same time, working in groups. And it's, a, it's kind of a two-year process so we've got 
so we've got stuff that's together and then there's other stuff that people are learning a lot of people are there's this thing called biblical reflection which i think you lot would enjoy which is using some material really reflecting starting starting where the new testament starts with paul's early books coming through studying the journey of acts and asking the question you know what what is this really about and how does this impact us as communities uh, that so that's another and that's a more socratic the, the idea is you just keep going around in circles discuss it and you start with the scriptures rather than what others think and so you start with the scriptures yourself th- then you work those through together as a group then you reflect on what others think about the, you know so that's good there's all sorts of others so yeah so that so, uh, so and in different localities learning will outwork differently and it's the same with the creativity you know you or hospitality you know if you go to the uh, I mean, uh, Rob and Sally, did they come here, the Harmons yeah, from Stanford? Yeah, so the leadership team met with Rob and Sally Harmon, who run one of the boiler room communities in Stanford, La Hope in Essex. So, they so their whole thing is built around meals, you know, so if you go to their place, you'll you'll be in homes, you're, you're, there'll be meals all together, so that, there's that hospitality. But if you go to Emmaus Road, you know, you might have 800 people at the meeting, but when you, you, you walk through the door, you get assaulted very lovingly and plied with top-quality coffee and very nice pastries i you know and and you know so so you'll see that and, and you know there are lots built around meals a lot of the so so that it, it work out at different levels in different places but there are those same values and so the reason we chose those six you know we're about the kingdom we could have chosen a different six but we felt that those six were kind of reflective of where we are and who we are and so they're kind of like a little bit of an audit you know, Pete often, Pete Greg often says, you know, I sit down and I look at our church and I think, okay, let's look at these six and how we're doing. And he said, usually you think, oh, actually, we're doing quite well in three or four of them. But, ooh, okay, we've let these other two slip. So there's that kind of, um, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So it's fun. Yeah. That's, yeah, I think that's something I'm quite interested in, reflecting on our community and those six things and just looking at where those things show up and how they do and what we might do to stimulate some more of that as well. Thanks, Roger. The great thing about being part of the the network of communities, I think, you know, the the aim is obviously you connect. We don't want it just to be connecting at a leadership level or even wider leadership level. There'll be different things through the year and different things where you you, you will get to know some of the other communities, some that are like you and some that aren't. And that that cross-fertilisation is very, very creative. Um, it, I, I think it catalyzes a lot of energy, it brings a lot of inspiration, but it also brings some, oh, we'll have a crack at this, it worked for them, <laughs> type stuff, which I think really helps things move forward. 